Episode 41 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today, I am talking with Corey Robin. Now, that name might sound familiar, and if it doesn't, you're probably living under a rock for the last couple of months because the Flying Cowboys have exploded since January. They are taking the internet by storm, taking YouTube by storm, and just making everyone, including myself, want to quit their day job, quit the podcast, joking, and buy a carbon cup, buy a souped-up Wilgo and name it Draco and put a turbine engine in it and go compete in stole competitions, go land on mountaintops, and go do the crazy and fun stuff that they're doing. In all seriousness, they are truly spreading the joy of aviation. They're showing the fun things of aviation, how aviation can be awesome and how much fun you can have doing it, and that you don't have to be an airline pilot to have fun. You don't have to be an airline pilot to have a fulfilling career go ahead and buy a carbon cub buy a j3 cub and go have fun go fly now the backcountry flying happens a lot over in the west coast i grew up in the east coast and there wasn't much backcountry flying to be had but you can still make fun of it and you can still go to cool places some of the things Corey and i talk about in today's episode are how old Corey was when he found out he wanted to be a pilot how Corey's passion for aviation has only grown over the years what Corey struggled with in his training why Corey loves backcountry flying so much the process that the Flying Cowboys go through when determining a safe and a new place to land. Some great stories about how Corey got stuck on a mountain when he was trying to land on the strip he's always wanted to land at. And Corey talks about why he loves fly-ins. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. We are so close to 200 reviews. Last time I checked, I think we're about 194. Six more to 200. The more reviews, the more eyes and more ears that get on the podcast, more people, iTunes will let it be more searchable and more people will listen to it. So please do that. And also, if you like the podcast, if you always wanted to do something for the podcast and you don't want to support us on Patreon or any other way of monetizing, just tell someone about the podcast. Let them know whether it's your flight school, whether it's your friend, whether it's your DPE, whoever it is, chief pilot. Tell them about the podcast. Spread the word. I want everyone to listen to this podcast and I want everyone to, to know what we're doing and how we're trying to, to really make a change in the general aviation and just aviation in general. And I can't do that without you guys. As I said before, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot to pilot, where you can support us there. We have stickers, and I'm thinking about making shirts for the $20 Patreon supporters, so if you want to go ahead and leave some feedback on that, let me know. Aviation, I don't want to waste any more of your time, and without further ado, here is Corey Robin. Hey, Corey, thanks for coming on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Hey, no problem. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Uh, I've I've done what well, I think it's about 40 of these, and I have yet to talk to someone that is a backcountry pilot. So I'm excited. I think the people listening to the podcast are excited to kind of hear what it's all about, what flying's like, and kind of how you said in your intro how people might think it's dangerous and reckless, but really, I'm sure you guys are taking calculated risks and know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, Justin, it's uh, it's a little bit different world, and so it's something you want to get into with like anything, the proper training. Um, and so that's why we don't necessarily see it as risky is, you know, you do something over and over again for a long period of time, you get good at it. It's like the first time you take off your airplane, you're probably not the best. Uh, <laughs> but uh, after you've done it and and your your flight instructor gives you that uh, the signature that allows you to go out and solo, you feel a little bit more confident. And then 
you know, you get the hours in, you get hundreds and hundreds of landings in, you get competent. And right. Then you, then you eventually evolve to you're a professional at it. And, and so, you know, there's that evolution in anything you do. And, you know, we're just a group of guys that happen to want to be at that professional level in backcountry. That's awesome. Well, I want to take it way back, like way to the beginning of why did Corey want to start flying? What was your inspiration? Was it family? Was it friends? Was it just something you always wanted to do as a kid? (laughs) Just talk about that for a little bit. You know, I actually remember my my first introduction to aviation. Um, My uncle was an air ambulance pilot. His name was Simon and I remember him very, very well. And I never got to go flying with him, but I just knew he was a pilot. Um, When I was in second grade, and this is going way back, we were asked to do, I think somewhere, something small, like a hundred word report on our favorite book. And, you know, I really didn't know anything about anything then. You know, how old could I have been in second grade? Right. What is that? Eight, you know, 19 years eight, old? Yeah, about eight, nine. Yeah, around <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, something really, really young. Um, so I am, you know, this really young kid. And, you know, my mom, and my, I, my mom and I go to a library. And I just happened to pick up uh, a picture book on the P-51 Mustang. And I just kind of was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And so I read this book and it wasn't like really a read. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to turn the pages. It was more pictures. And it was just, uh, you know, the story of how the P-51 Mustang came to be in that really short time frame. I'm sure everybody knows the, the wonderful story of the P-51. But for me, as a really young kid, I was just super impressed with how, you know, the need for that type of fighter aircraft, how quickly North American was able to go from zero to hero from having nothing and in a hundred and something days test flying the P-51 Mustang. And, you know, I just fell in love with aviation at that point. That was all it took, 100 words as a second grader. And um, I just kept looking into it and looking into it and looking into it and never let go from then on out. I was a hooked, an addict. <laughs> That's awesome. So you knew from that book that, Hey, I'm going to be a pilot. This is going to be my career path. And this is what I want to do. You know, I didn't, I don't think I knew if I was going to be a pilot or not. I knew that I loved the airplane and the, how cool it was that airplanes could fly. And I don't know that I put it all together until later. Um, I became a, uh, I was bagging groceries at a grocery store and I had gotten my first real job and then I got my first real paycheck. And then you have that big decision. What am I going to do with my first real paycheck? <laughs> right. And so, you know, I had something in the neighborhood. I think I had like $110 was my first paycheck. And so it wasn't much. And so I was just thinking, you know what? The only thing I really want to do with this is I've never been flying before. So I went to, I drove to the, uh, or I had my mom drive me <laughs> to, <laughs> to the airport and I remember it vividly. I remember that it was a it was a beat up ratty Cessna 150 that I took my ride in. Um, the gentleman that gave me the ride, his name was James, and he was a pilot, you know, a flight instructor, and he gave me an introductory flight, and that was it for me. As soon as I flew, I knew that was what I wanted to do with my life. It, you know, I wanted that that taste, that freedom, you know, I don't know if you've, 
if you've never flown before, it's hard to explain that first moment when the wheels leave the ground and you look out the window and you're like, Hey, I'm in this. You know what I mean? Yeah, for you sure. Know, you, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. You do it. Yeah, I know but, exactly what you but, mean. But there's a lot of people that just don't get it because they've just not done it or maybe they're too afraid to. And maybe that soils the experience for them so they don't get that aha moment. But I sure got it. <laughs> that's exactly how it worked for me, too. It was just, I didn't. My dad was a pilot. My grandpa was a pilot. But I didn't know that's what I wanted to do. They never really pushed aviation. They never forced me on aviation. And it kind of made me make my own decision to come into aviation. And when I was 21 years old, I took my first flight. And it's just like you said, as soon as the wheels came off the ground, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing I have ever done. It's like I knew from there that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And at that point on, it, it was over for me. It was everything. I got into model airplanes because those were a little bit more affordable. Um, <laughs> but by the time I turned 17, I had achieved my, I, I got my pilot certification on my 17th birthday. It was amazing. Nice. Yeah. But it took me a year to do it. Cause obviously when you're 15 and a half working your first grocery job, you know, I bagged a dude, I bagged a lot of groceries <laughs> <laughs> to get my pilot's license. It was a lot of work, but I played around a lot. I got some model airplane work in and I learned very thoroughly how airplanes flew. And I just, you know, I just loved it so much. And I still do. To this day, that bug, that passion has not left me at all. If anything, it's grown. Yeah, that's awesome. What I have, so I'm on my account with Pilot the Pilot, we have a lot of people, a lot of the younger, the younger generation is messaging me. They're talking about, hey, I'm 14. I love aviation. I want to get into it. Like, this is what I want to do, but I don't know how to pay for it. And I think that you could offer some good advice to just get a job, like just, just do it. Just, you know, just like go bag groceries, go work at like a GameStop or a movie theater and save right. up your money and go fly. The thing is when you're 14, obviously you can't get your license until you're a little bit older. So anything you can do is just going to help you get to where you want to get. So you can start as early as you want and you just need to just go get the job and go get the money to pay for it. Exactly. And it's about prioritization, right? You know, yeah. as a kid, it's difficult to do that. I had absolutely no problem doing it, but at $3 and 10 cents an hour, that's oh. how much I was making bagging groceries. I, I had to bag a lot of groceries. And of course it was cheaper back then. And that's the, the age old excuse. Oh boy, you're lucky you got your pilot's license back when it was only $2,500 to do it. But at the same time, the economy scales yeah. and you know, that same $3 and 10 cents an hour that I was making was the minimum wage. <laughs> Gosh, it makes me sound so old. I'm not that old, I promise. <laughs> but, you know, now you can make a lot more money. And it's just a matter of prioritization. And and you know what? The first thing that I would counsel anybody to do is if you want to become a pilot, the first thing you need to do is go take that very first step. And then just take one more. And then just take another and just keep taking those steps advancing towards your goal. And that's all it takes to, to look at, oh my gosh, I want to be like Justin and I want to fly for net jets. That's, that's an unwieldy goal to grab and to really grasp the concepts and to organize that and to structure it and lay out a strategy. It would be a very complex strategy to do that. But going out and taking an intro flight is pretty easy. And then what do you do after that next step? Well, then you take another flight and then you listen to your flight instructor and he might say, well, here is a book on how to attend a grant or how to study for a ground school. And so I want you to look at this chapter. And so then do that and then just take everything incrementally. And it just, that's what I did. You know, I, I was, 
I kind of lucked myself into a pilot's license because I didn't really complicate things by getting afraid of, oh, wow, it's unwieldy. You know, being a pilot is a big deal. It does take some skill. But at the same time, it's it's just one step at a time, man. That's yeah. all you got to do. No, I like how you said that because – if you get fixated, like it's good to have a goal, it's good to have dreams, but if you get fixated on, hey, I want to be an A380 captain or 787 captain for American United, whatever, and if you just get focused on the money or on the prestige, you're going to kind of burn yourself out because like you said, it takes time. You need to focus on lesson by lesson by lesson, certificate by certificate, job by job, and just put in the work, put your head down and try to just not worry about the money because all that stuff's going to come in the end and you're just going to, you just can't be chasing money because I mean, it's, it's hard to build your hours. It's, it's tough to get through the first, maybe second job before you get on with say a regional airline or even a major airline. If you're lucky, a lot of guys don't get on to a major airline until they're 30, 35 type deal. So I, I really like what you were talking about there. We're just take it step by step, just slow it down, bring it back a little bit and remember why you're in aviation and that you're here for the love of it. Yeah, and, and I'm not necessarily saying slow it down. Go at a pace that's comfortable. But at the same time, don't don't not do anything because the goal is so huge. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen personally and even in my own life. Sometimes I'll take a, a big project. Like my wife has wanted me to do a huge project in the backyard for years. Yeah. And it's just like I'll do it when I get around to it. But it's just <laughs> a big project. But if I would just take that project and just do one thing and then another and another, eventually it would get done. And it right. might not get done quickly. Again, priorities, right? Right. But it gets done. But you might find that you just start, hey, you know, this is exactly what I want to do. And things just, you know, I've, I, I, I mentored this one young lady that was on my YouTube channel and she just was hooked. And I mean, she had gotten bitten by the bug worse than anybody had ever seen. <laughs> never gone flying before, never even thought about it before. Here I am, some idiot on YouTube says, hey, would you like to go flying and be on YouTube? She says, sure. I take her flying. She had never even considered it before. Now she's enrolled in a university program and already has her commercial license in less than a year. That's she's awesome. cranking it out. But she she basically was right at that perfect point where she was at that that apex, that decision-making point where, hey, what do I want to do? What do I want to study in school? And I just got her it luckily right at the right moment. And she went down to the University of uh UVU is what it's called, okay. Utah Valley University, and enrolled in their professional pilot program. Nice. It's amazing. It is amazing. And it's like you said, you can get your hours, you can get your certificates relatively quick if you put in the work. So that that's kudos to her. She's going after it. <laughs> yeah. And she, she worked really hard. She yeah. did the whole financial aid thing. She didn't do it with her own money. But if, if you know, I like to tell people there's nothing that's going to get in your way if you want to do it. Absolutely nothing. The, the money is the least of your worries. The biggest worry that you should have is is keeping that fire lit and moving one step at a time and being creative and getting after it. Right. So let's go back to your training a little bit. I want to find out, sure. did you do 61? Did you do part 141? Did you have any struggles whatsoever? Like what was something that you just, maybe you couldn't grasp for? Was it flying well, or was it studying, that kind of stuff? Well, you know, the studying part came came the easiest for me. The flying was, you know, quite honestly, I don't think that any of it was all that difficult. It's just... It was, um, what's the best word for it? It was outside of my wheelhouse. It was 
not normal for me to do. And it was skills that I did have to develop. I started in a 141 program and because I couldn't afford the pace that they were doing, because, you know, the 141 is you have this very specific thing every single hour of flight. Um, It didn't really work for me because I just didn't make enough income and wasn't on the right schedule to make that happen, to make it efficient. Because in order to do 141, you kind of just got to go through the program and you've got to do it. You know, you can't be like me where some months I would get one or two flights in and that's it. Right. And, and, and 141, that's not necessarily the best environment. And so I changed from a 141 and went to a different school and finished up in the part 61 world. Nice. Um, because it did take me, you know, a year, year, just over a year to, to, from start to finish. But I had some really fun times as a student pilot. I soloed in, um, a tailwheel airplane, uh, in addition to a trike, Oh, nice. which, which, uh, was probably part of the reason why I love backcountry flying so much <laughs> is, you know, when you have the opportunity to fly in a classic J3 and your instructor says, hey, I know a buddy of mine that is also a flight instructor that would like to solo you in your, his J3. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, if and you the, insist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're going from a, a 150 to a J3. The performance are, are, is, is fairly similar as far as the, you know, the climb rates and all that stuff with two people in it. Um, but they're a completely different airplane as far as the handling characteristics and you're going from a yoke to a stick and, um, you know, you're going from flying with your left hand to flying with your right hand. And so it was just, it was so different. But the weird thing for me is flying with a stick just was my game. It was my wheelhouse. I just absolutely loved it. I felt it, you know, it's a J3, but you, (laughs) you see, you see in the movies, you know, where all the fighter pilots are holding a stick in their right hand and they've got their throttle on their left hand. And, and, you know, that's just the, the pictures that kept coming to my mind. And so I gravitated towards it and I was like, wow, this is, I'm on center line. I don't know if, you know, I know that the airplane is straight. It just felt so good being in a tailwheel airplane, tandem configuration, the seating, uh, I just absolutely loved it. And so that was a really fun part of my flight training is, um, I had, I think maybe in the neighborhood of about 30 hours and I had already soloed several times in a Cessna. Um, and my instructor said, Hey, you know, I think it might be good for you to break things up and, and go fly with my buddy. And I think what he was really telling me is that he had picked up a pilot job and he was transitioning to a new <laughs> flight instructor. He's like, yeah, you need to go with someone else. <laughs> but it just was, it was so perfect. And I, I really appreciated it. He, he ultimately helped me finish my license after he did a I think he went over to flight safety and did some sim training or something for a nice. period of time, flew caravans for a while. I can't re- really remember. But Would you say it's important for someone to maybe go the tailwheel before they get into the tricycle gear? Or do you think that – because I know I went the flight school, I, I went to Ohio State and I started training there. We didn't have a tailwheel. And then I got my private pilot license at Ohio State, moved back down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm from. And I went to a flight school there that had a tailwheel. But I already had my private. I didn't really see the benefit – of getting my tailwheel, spending the extra money when I was, my goal was to go professional and maybe my, my goal is to maybe get my tailwheel down the line. But what would you say the benefits and the reason someone should get their tailwheel maybe even before they step foot in a 150 or a uh, 172? Well, you know, I'm, I kind of like to 
apply my own experience and you know, it's hard for me to say what works for me is going to work for everybody. Right. But the best advice that I could give or the best counsel or the best argument to go ahead and get your tailwheel endorsement is that it just definitely will make you a better pilot. You will learn the yaw control of your aircraft and that property, that communication between the pedals is a real thing and you, and you will be a better pilot across the board by doing it, period. And that is absolutely 100% true for me. And I remember, you know, um, after I had, I don't know, three, 400 hours in tailwheel airplanes and I just hadn't flown uh, anything like a Cessna 152 or 182 or whatever in years, literally years, and then I went and started some instrument training <laughs> and I got to tell you, shooting an ILS and a 172P was like butter after <laughs> flying a, after flying a tailwheel airplane. It was just so easy. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that flying tailwheel aircraft are difficult at all. What I'm saying is, is that they're different and they will teach you because their characteristics are unique. They're humbling from what I hear. <laughs> They're, no, I, I don't. I, they're just different. It's yeah. like changing, you know, if you're a roller skater and you're on the quads on roller skates and you go to inline skates, it's the same skating principles, but it's different contact with the ground. And that's yeah. all it is. It's a, that's a very accurate depiction of flying a tailwheel airplane versus a trike in the air. They're the same airplane. It's only that transition, that critical transition between being a aircraft and a ground operating vehicle. That's awesome. What would you say are some things that maybe like, so we talked about the benefits of it and what's something that when you're just starting to fly a tailwheel, you're getting into it, maybe you just want to solely focus on flying a tailwheel or buy one yourself. What's like some things that you have to watch out for? I know ground loops can happen. I know crosswinds can be struggle, like can be kind of difficult at first. What's the, the first kind of things that you need to get used to when you're flying a tailwheel before you can kind of feel comfortable going cross, doing the backcountry stuff that you guys do? Well, let me let me first lay this disclaimer out there. You look at all these air these pilots that are these backcountry pilots and you think, "Wow, they just do these really crazy things." <laughs> at the same time, we fly the easiest airplanes when we do it. I fly a Super Cub. Yeah. In the backcountry. The easiest to pilot aircraft in the universe. And there's a reason for that. We don't want to go, you know, I had a Wilga and that's a very advanced, difficult aircraft to fly in the back country. And I was doing it and trying my best to keep up with the Cub guys, but I just couldn't do it. So now I'm in a super Cub. Nice. But, but, you know, going back to your question, um, what are the things to look out for if you're not familiar with tailwheel aircraft? You know, I think the, the biggest thing that you need to look out for is your own fear <laughs> because it's actually not as big a deal as, you know, people that haven't done it, make it a bigger deal. And I think that the pilot community has a little bit of, Hey, you know, I'm a pilot and I'm a tailwheel pilot. <laughs> you know, yeah. I fly a tailwheel airplane. I fly a real airplane. There's a lot of that going on because we're pilots and we like to think that we're awesome and we yeah. are, but we, we have a, egos, right? <laughs> there's a lot of that out yeah. there. And, and, and in some cases it's unfortunate because honestly, it's not, in my opinion, I don't think flying tailwheel aircraft are more difficult at all. They're just different. Um, you know, you can get into trouble in a trike the same way you can get into the trouble of tailwheel. Now, tailwheel is going to be, is going to have different tendencies. And, you know, um, you have to be Johnny on the spot a little bit more with the tailwheel. But it teaches you good discipline. You know, I think I've seen people taxiing out 
to the run-up area in in all kinds of aircraft, like texting people on their phone and completely not paying attention to anything. <laughs> One of the things that a tailwheel aircraft will do for you is it won't let you do that because you've got to pay <laughs> attention to the taxi process and yeah. you can't be messing around, um, doing other things and getting busy and having bad you know, cockpit resource management with a tailwheel airplane. You just have to put everything down and fly the airplane all the way to the hangar. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think that's the biggest thing is just go out and do it. Get over your fears. Don't let the tailwheel pilots convince you that they are just super awesome pilots, super <laughs> pilots, because we're just not. We're just normal guys. We just happen to fly tailwheel airplanes. That's funny. No, I mean, I, there, there <laughs> definitely is kind of some of that out there that I, I feel when I was doing my training that some of the instructors that I was with, maybe they thought like, hey, like tailwheel pilot or like tailwheel is hard. Like you don't want to get in a tailwheel. You could get into trouble and then you could like lose your license and like all this kind of stuff. So I think there might be a little bit of a stigma out there. So it's kind of nice to hear that. It's just like, hey, I mean, it's just it's just fine. You get used to it. It's a different skill that you learn, that you perfect. And then you just it's just like normal flying, like you said. Right. It really is. And it's super fun. Yeah. It, it opens up a lot of, you know, you know, the backcountry most, I'd say 99% of the aircraft operating in the backcountry are tailwheel airplanes. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. You know, the, in, you know, increased prop clearance because you have that angle of attitude. You can take off shorter because you have that AOA. I mean, there's all kinds of different benefits that the tailwheel airplane brings to you. You're lighter because you don't have to lug around this big, heavy nose wheel assembly. <laughs> right. You know, so there's there's so many benefits to having a tailwheel airplane. And some of the coolest airplanes are tailwheel airplanes. I mean, no, they are. The P- yeah. The P-51 Mustangs, a tailwheel. They're airplane. incredible. Every time I see one of them, I see, <laughs> oh, where was I? I was flying somewhere in California and there was one taxiing out and it was just, it was unbelievable. It's such a beautiful airplane, such a cool airplane just to see still flying. Cause there's not at that many that are flying. So it's awesome to see those when you get the chance. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. what was There's the transition fun. from what sparked the back country in you? What sparked you? Hey, I'm going to go land on a mountaintop. Like why, why did that start? Like what, what was the story behind all that? Um, you know, I guess it really, the back country side of it, Really is more of a social thing, I guess. And I've always kind of been an outdoors person, mm-hmm. um, loved hiking, camping and all that stuff. And so when I would hear from, you know, I'm in Utah, so there's a lot of backcountry aviation here. Oh, there, yeah. It is a playground here. Yeah, same thing in Idaho and California has some good backcountry and Nevada has great backcountry. And, you know, the West out here is just a backcountry mecca people think backcountry and they think bush pilots in alaska well there's a lot of backcountry flying going on here in the united states down the lower 40 48 but um so that's really how i got into it and you know really right away um you know in the early 90s um there was this the big blm takeover of a whole bunch of land in utah and so i really got involved in the advocacy side of it to try and keep airplane or airstrips open here in Utah and just volunteered time. And, you know, that's really kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, you want to get better and better because operating into quote unquote, what the FAA calls a hazardous airstrip or an unimproved airstrip, there's some skill set that's required for you to be able to do that responsibly. And I've always had that risk aversion, like, uh, I want to do things and I want to do them right. And I want to do them safely because I want to, I have a family and I want to go home and I exactly. actually really love my life and I'm not just <laughs> going to go out and, you know, um, act like I'm just cavalier about this sort of thing. And, and, uh, at, you know, at the time I was, um, 
I was young and I kind of evolved away from my grocery store job <laughs> and, and I got a job um, moving cattle in, oh, cool. at a ranch. And so I was, I was, I was a cowboy really. I'd, I'd round up cattle and ride a horse all day and the whole deal. And, you know, we'd move cattle from one grazing land to another grazing land, you know, just to prevent overgrazing and different things like that. And so I really got involved. I got some knowledge as to, you know, how land ownership works and things like that. And, you know, everywhere I'm riding the horse, you know, and, and I'm setting up camp for the night as you know, we're moving cattle this long distance. I remember up in, in Wyoming, we were doing this. And I was just thinking, man, there's all these cool places I can land. And how much faster could we do all this if I was in an airplane? And, and so I just had my mind constantly going as to how could we use aircraft to do our cowboy work? And, and so one day, you know, I told the, the owner of the ranch, I said, Hey, you know, I'm a pilot and we have these 15 or 20 lost cows. Why don't, why don't I just drive back to Salt Lake, jump in an airplane, the time that it would take us several days on horseback to go locate and round up this, these cattle, I can go locate them in 10 minutes. That's awesome. Call you, I can call you and send you out there right where they are. <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, well, no. And so he's, he flat out shut me down. He just didn't believe in it. And so um, I said, well, the offer's always there. If you ever, you know, if I'm ever not working and you need somebody, the offer's always there. And so I would constantly bug him about it. And, I, and about a year or so later, I get this call from this rancher and he says, hey, uh, one of my friends, it wasn't his ranch, <laughs> but one of my friends has a, a bunch of lost cattle and, you know, I mentioned to him and so he's willing to pay you to go out there. And I'm like, well, he can't pay me because I'm not a commercial pilot, but I'm happy to go do it. Right. Um, and so I went out and, you know, I said, where are they? And he, oh, they think they're down this draw here. And so I went and I flew the aircraft and I found, I located the cattle. And then I was like, man, how do I round them up? <laughs> what do I do here? Get a rope and start throwing it down yeah. from the air. <laughs> so I was like, man, I need a backcountry airplane so I can, so I can bring somebody with me or at least so I can land and tell them what's going on with right. that. And this is before cell phones. So, I mean, I had to literally go back to the airport, land the airplane, call them on the phone and say, okay, here's where your cattle were. And then they had the cowboys run out and, or, you know, ride out and go get them. And so that's really why I got the name, the flying cowboys back when I was young, that's I, so was, cool. <laughs> I was flying around spotting for cattle and we, and, and boy, there's, there's no better way to do a survey of either land or your cattle, you know, counting cattle, finding out how many are in this spot or that spot. Or, you know, there's uh, in Utah, there's a lot of native American land where they might not necessarily be running the right kind of cattle. And what I mean by that is they don't do vaccinations and things to keep yeah. them safe and, um, you know, disease free. And so we don't like them mixing with uh, the the disease free cattle, and so you you've got to make sure yeah. <laughs> that they're not crossing their rivers, and you know just all kinds of stuff. You wouldn't believe all the cool work you can do in an airplane, and and that's kind of how I got into the backcountry side of it. Is eventually I I bought this little experimental uh, airplane. And just started doing a ton of just flying around because it just saves so much time. You know, I can break my back on a horse for days and days and what I can do in an hour in an airplane. And, and so a lot of the ranchers started hearing about it and, oh, I want to call that flying cowboy guy and get him over here. <laughs> what a reputation to have the flying cowboy. That's such a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it just pretty fun. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really how the whole flying cowboys group got started is – um 
you know, every one of us in one way or another, in, you know, as a backcountry pilot has done some cowboy work with their airplane. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of a really cool community, kind of a group of friends, um, the flying cowboys. And so, yeah. you know, we decided to take it, um, on the social side of things. There's not a lot of people really doing, you know, I know Justin, you're doing it and there's some other podcasters doing it and some other guys on YouTube doing things to promote aviation, but there's not a lot of guys that are sh- saying, okay, here, here's what you can do with your airplane that is different and, you know, the the fastest growing segment in general aviation right now in recreational aviation is backcountry flying. But there was really there's really a vacuum there as far as, you know, competent people telling you how to get into it the right way and also just showing you that it's a heck of a lot of fun and motivating you to get into it in the first place. Oh, for sure. And so we, we all started these YouTube things and started posting pictures and videos on the Internet and, you know, uh really just trying to promote aviation and how much fun it is to get out there and fly backcountry airplane. Exactly. And that's what I kind of love about kind of what you guys are doing and just aviation and the internet and what internet has done for aviation in general. It's because no one, no one even knew that this is possible before. I mean, I grew up in Charlotte. I now live in Illinois. It's like, there's no back. I mean, there might be some backcountry flying in the mountains of North Carolina, but in Illinois, there's no backcountry flying really. Like you might have a grass trip somewhere else, but seeing your accounts and seeing, just what you guys are doing for, like you said, general aviation and inspiring people to, to go buy kit foxes and paint them in American flag colors and do all that kind of stuff. And it's just amazing. And it's, it's crazy the platform that you guys have and how you can inspire people and show them that there's just, there's more to aviation than operating a 737. There's more to aviation than just going for a paycheck. There's the fun side of aviation that everyone can be a part of. Right. And I hope I and, and not to take away from the commercial side, because what we hope is, you know, there there is definitely a if we don't use this freedom we have, we're going to lose it for future generations. And so we're trying to inspire people to get involved across the board. And we don't care if they come in and become bush pilots. We don't care if they become a Cessna caravan driver or they go work for Piedmont Airlines or American Airlines or right. a, a freight dog somewhere. We just, we just need more pilots. For sure. And, and we're, we're already starting to see the trend lines where our freedoms are being not necessarily taken away yet, but threatened with, with all these things that great organizations like AOPA and EAA are being our advocate advocate for we're not necessarily involved as much as we should as a aviation community. And so that's really us saying, Hey, you know, we need to do our part to push back against the encroachment that is happening in aviation because air airports are being shut down, you know, backcountry airstrips are being shut down and people like what, look at what's gone on here in just Santa Monica, California, where the airport there in Santa Monica, the runway is already shortened, so they can't bring in certain jets there. Yeah. And their 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 plans are to completely shut down the airport. That's an iconic, historic artifact airport there, and they just want to put sky rises on the beach, and that's all they want. They don't want that to be the departure corridor. Right. And and so there's there's a huge problem, and there's this misconception in the world of non aviation that that we are just a bunch of people moving 
stuff and people around. No, there's, there's people out here doing it and we're recreating. There's air ambulances. There's, there's just huge, vast network of products and services and fun being had in aviation. And so that's what the flying cowboys is all about is showing that fun side. And so you'll see us flying fast airplanes. You'll see us flying the Bush airplanes. We really want to just show the fun of it and the, and, and hopefully ignite that passion in people that, man, this is just so much fun. It's like, you know, tasting delicious fruit for the first time, the first thing you want to do is show it to your buddy and say, oh man, try this. This is <laughs> right. awesome. You know, and that's how we feel about aviation. Try this. This is so awesome. You've that's got cool. to try this. What, uh, so talk about some of the fun things you do. Like talk about, um, your favorite airstrip that you can land on or just the process of, you know, choosing what's safe and what's not safe. If you have to abort a landing, like, uh, what's the whole process and picking out your spots of where you go fly to? Well, we like to kind of joke around with each other. Um, kind of the adage in our group is if it looks safe, it might be, if it doesn't look safe, it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so there's always that, oh, we've got to be extra cautious whenever we're kind of quote unquote pioneering a new landing strip. Um, I'll give you the perfect example of how it can go the wrong way. Um, several years ago when I was young and dumb, <laughs> <laughs> That's my disclaimer. The story's starting out great already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was I was flying and me and my buddies had just had been having the, a fantastic day landing in all these new locations. And right on the way home, I've been looking at this little ridge line for literally years. And it's and it's a very it's on a 10 out of 10, it would be an 11 as far as the challenging. It was maybe 250 feet long. Oh, dang. It was it was on, I don't know, maybe a 15 degree upline. And there were sheer cliffs on either side. And you had maybe 20 feet wide of a ridge line to land on to get your wheels on. And so you can go off either side or off the end. And it's 200 feet long. It's just like ultra challenging. Yeah, and no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been flying approaches on it for, for a long time. And I just told one of my buddies, Hey, you know what? I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to just put the wheels down and see what happens. And, uh, the, the thing about this type of a, an approach though, when you're landing uphill is there's really not, you have to, execute your go around before you touch your wheels down. Right. So once your wheels are down, you're committed, you're going to stop or you're going to topple off either side or the other end at the, at the end of the little strip. So you have to pick so, your kind of turnaround point or go around point before you touch down. Like you said, like you need to, there's a point of no return essentially. Yeah. You, you pick your, your, your taxi point, everything. So it's a one way in one way out. Okay. There's no, so it, 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 it's just like, ultra challenging. It's hard to do this over a podcast. I could do, I could draw it out, but, <laughs> but in any case, so I, I went in and I landed and I executed it perfectly. I mean, I had been looking at this strip literally for years and had, I'd probably done approaches on it 50 times and just never done it, but the conditions were absolutely perfect. So I landed on it and sure. It looked like a great strip from the air, but when, once I got on the ground, there was, um, some wildlife had dug some holes in it. Oh. And, and so I had landed. And as soon as I got slow enough to where a wheel could go in one of these little foxholes, I call it a foxhole. I don't know what kind of a hole it was. My literally one of my wheels just kind of boom, just stopped dead stop in this foxhole. And here I am, my airplane sitting at maybe a 20 degree up angle. <laughs> and I am not getting out of this yeah. little hole. My, 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 my right main gear is literally stuck in this hole. So I throttle down and I'm like, Oh crap, the plane's moving backwards. And so 
I'm like, well, maybe it'll roll out of the hole and then I can throttle out. But then I, I did that, but the aircraft didn't have enough power to climb the hill. So I, oh, I would need no. momentum to get up the hill. And so I'm literally just stuck at this spot. My, my buddy's circling over here and I said, okay, well, I'm stuck. I'm going to have to figure this out. Uh, so give me a minute. And so I left the airplane running because I, I had to have enough throttle to prevent it from rolling backwards down the hill. So this was super sketchy. So I'm, so I'm adjusting the throttle so the plane doesn't roll backwards. So it had forward pressure on the foxhole. I, I had to make sure that me taking weight out of the airplane didn't roll the airplane out of the foxhole. Oh my gosh. So I, so I immediately jumped out of the airplane, found some the biggest rocks I could and tried to chalk both the front and back of the wheels. Then I jumped in the airplane while it's still running, grabbed my tie down kit. I have that, that claw tie down kit. And so mm-hmm. I, I tied the, the, the wings down so it wouldn't roll backwards down the hill as best I could. And once I was confident that it wasn't going to roll down the hill without turning the engine off, I jumped in the airplane and turned the motor off. <laughs> and so here I am just perched on this crazy, there's no way to get to it. Maybe a day or so hike rock climbing type hike oh my gosh <laughs> get on this ridge and so i'm just literally stuck there going okay what the heck do i do and i didn't really want to do anything because i didn't want to move my airplane because it would fall if it would might roll backwards and just topple down the hill and i'd lose the airplane and so what i really needed to do is you know we have a buddy with a helicopter what i really needed is a couple more hands to maybe maneuver the airplane with a couple of hands mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't happening because i was a a moron and did this right at sundown. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the dumbest like, yeah. <laughs> like like you have you have the dumbest things you could do and like this is even dumber. You know, we knew we know this is backcountry pilots. You never yeah. do a new airstrip right before dark because you need light and whatever the case may be. That's... I had done it maybe an hour before dark and so oh. we started making calls and and uh, I said, "Look guys, I'm just going to set up camp and I'm going to camp overnight. We'll figure it out in the morning." No big deal. And so I didn't have any camping gear or anything. So I was I got just my, about to ask, do you normally fly with camping gear and stuff? <laughs> I normally do, but I had taken it out that day because oh, oh, we're no. staying close. We're staying really close to home. No Sounds big like deal. the perfect storm. <laughs> no, it, was just, yeah. it was just dumb. It was just yeah. dumb and young. And, but in any case, I, I do have, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the outdoor networks and stuff and watching the primitive survival channels shows and whatever. So I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a lean to and uh, I'm going to make myself a shelter. And I had a, I had a hammock and that was it. Oh, wow. And so I made a, I made a little shelter and climbed in it and spent the night. It was actually pretty awesome. It didn't get co- that cold. And that's good. It was, it was a really kind of a fun night. I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm outdoors, man. <laughs> so I made, the, I made the shelter and slept out night out at night. And in the morning when the sun came up, I was just like, well, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to let the airplane back up a little bit. So I made these two big, huge piles of, of rocks Mm -hmm. and let the airplane slowly creep back out of the little foxhole. Then I, um, filled the foxholes up, all of them, all the way up till the crest of the hill where I would turn around and then I could take off down the hill and it all worked perfectly. I, you know, I just did this by myself, took my time, took about an hour, hour and a half to prepare everything and walk up and down the strip several times and feel every little hole. And the reason why I couldn't power up the hill is because I would back up and then I'd go right back into the foxhole. Yeah. I determined. And so once I had the foxhole healed or, or, you know, filled up with, with rocks and the back, you know, got the airplane secured where it wouldn't roll backwards, I felt comfortable enough to Remove the tie down. So I removed the tie downs, threw them in the airplane, jumped in, started it up, and 
Luckily, I powered right up the hill, no problem, turned around and took off. So, but, but it was, it was a crazy experience. I learned a lot of things of what not to do again. To this day, we, I'm still the only pilot that's ever flown into that little ridge and and it's named Corey's Folly. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) We've had the helicopter in there a couple of times. Any goals to go back and conquer it again? (laughs) You know, I was in a Wilga at the time in a super cub. It would be way easier. Um, Maybe I will. I think that would make a fun video, make a fun story to to show people that on YouTube. Because I know I've told told that story a couple of times and some people that have heard it are like hey where is that i want to see it and is it really as crazy as you say that's cool i've flown people over it and they're like holy cow that's it and they're like yeah i'm never going in there (laughs) (laughs) it's like what were you thinking that's yeah yeah, that's why it's called Corey's folly it's cool that you say that you like obviously aviation i mean in, in everything in life you learn from the mistakes that you make and you just said before you learned from this experience and you were able to apply this in future instances probably where you were able to avoid situations like that. But it's just our, you just have to avoid the crucial mistakes that could end in you putting yourself in extreme danger. But it is very important to learn from mistakes and not be afraid to make mistakes and just to, to know that aviation is, is a fluid thing and you're constantly learning and you're constant, different things happen every single day. So you just got to be able to humble yourself and not be afraid to make that mistake because eventually you are going to learn from it and it's going to make you a better pilot. Yeah, it is. And and if you take it with that attitude and not let it beat you down, I mean, you can let your mistakes strengthen you and make you stronger or you can let them beat on you a little bit. Right. And some, some, some mistakes are so big, it feels like the Incredible Hulk is punching you in the face. Right. And, and you might need a little bit of time to recoup from it, but some are just no big, no big deal. This one was a big mistake. I was really hard on myself for this one. I didn't fly for a couple of days. And yeah. for me to not fly for a couple of days and take a knee for a minute <laughs> is a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to, I had to, you know, I, I really want to, every time I have an experience that checks me, that, uh, that makes me second guess myself. I try to recognize that and I take a moment to have a self-assessment and say, okay, well, what went wrong? You know, have you, have you ever read an NTSB accident report where they look at all the contributing factors mm-hmm. and the probable cause? I, I actually have that form and I do that with myself whenever I scare myself. And I, it's not something I ever share with anybody. It's just for me. I look at all every, all the contributing factors and I try to be honest with myself and real and I get down to the nitty gritty and I say, here's what happened. And I write it down and I have a little journal of these that I keep. And uh, honestly, I think that that journal and that journal has saved my life many times because it is risky to go and do some of the backcountry stuff that we do. But we manage that risk by doing it as safely as possible. And I can guarantee you if you approach it the right way, you can do it safely. But you've got to take that safety seriously. Um, Yeah, 100%. And it makes it a heck of a lot more fun when you can go into something with confidence and you know that you can land your airplane in that 150 feet required. (laughs) It is amazing. That's so it's cool. an amazing experience. Well, just following you guys on Instagram and YouTube and seeing where you land, the videos and the content that you can create by what you do is it's just amazing. And if I was 16 again or 18 again watching your stuff, I'm sure my my goal would be to to go into the backcountry and I'd want to do all that. You know, it's it's I, I love what you guys are doing and I really think you're showing the fun side of aviation because you know how training can be. Training can kind of bore you or bog you down a little bit and it can beat you up and it can kind of take away from the joy and love of flying every once in a while. So it's it's really fun to see 
what you guys are do and how much fun you guys have doing it because that's what it, aviation's fun. That's what it is. It's <laughs> it's the best career anyone could ever have and it's the best industry that anyone could go into. I mean, I'm I'm a little biased obviously because I fly, but <laughs> it's just fun and you need to have and find ways to have fun with it. So I love that you guys are are doing that and showing it off. Yeah, we we sure do have fun and you know, one of the biggest things that I love about aviation are the people. Um, you know, people like you and and the and the and the and the people that are not necessarily pilots that are fans of aviation that come to air shows or come to, you know, the fly in, you know, we do a lot of the fly ins and stuff and we really just love to expose as many people to it as possible, but it's the it's that family reunion type atmosphere you get at these fly ins. Uh, that we, that I personally get the most out of, you know, meeting the other guys that are, you know, fighting the good fight, like the podcasters, like you that are out there and, uh, you know, shaking your hand and telling stories. And, um, it's just so, it's such a great community to be a part of. I mean, where, what other community can you go to almost any airport in the world? Like right now you could go land your airplane at almost any airport in the country, and there's a car there with the keys in it for you to take. Yeah, no charge. Just go. Two hours. Just, wherever just you go. Want. Yeah. And they tr- and they trust. I mean, that is a special, special thing about aviation that we all keep that nice for each other and that nobody wants to ruin it for anybody. And, you know, in fact, if anything, we all try to make it better. I'm always that guy that's going to put that extra gallon of gas right. in there for the next guy. For or, sure. Or maybe wipe off the the inside of the window because it's dusty because the next guy might need to see through that old yeah, right. <laughs> crusty, crusty airport car. But you know, it's just such a, a a magical experience. And you know, you know, if you're a pilot, go out there and give people rides. If you're not a pilot, find a local EAA chapter and learn about what they call Eagle flights and Young Eagle flights. There's a lot of pilots out there that we love to give people rides. We love to expose people to it. But, you know, get involved, um, try and get on the other side of that fence or just go sit on the fence and just just watch if that's your thing. Um, Because, you know, it is such an inclusive, wonderful experience to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I get so much out of it. I mean, I'm a software nerd for for my real job. And so, you know, I love aviation. I luckily got a software nerd job where I program aviation software. There you go. That's, that's a different story <laughs> altogether. <laughs> that's awesome. That's but, so uh, cool. But, you know, we, you know, the Flying Cowboys, we just, we just really, and you can meet any one of us and we're all going to share that same passion. And we've just been lucky to find each other and f- lucky to be able to live next to each other and be able to fly almost every day with each other we, and share that with everybody. And we sure enjoy making those videos and stuff. And a lot of work does go into them. People just think, oh, oh they yeah. went flying. And, you know, it, it does take a lot of work to put out a YouTube video, especially a series like we're doing. Um, so we sure appreciate it when people, uh, you know, watch and, and share it and, and enjoy it. Definitely. It's all about, it's definitely all about the community. And it, it, I mean, obviously, like I said before, I'm biased. Aviation community is amazing. Went to Oshkosh for the first time and just meeting people that listen to the podcast and just meeting other people in aviation that maybe you follow on Instagram or YouTube. It's just so cool. And just to find out that everyone's down to earth. Everyone's just are, I would be willing to bet that 90 for 95% of the people on Instagram or YouTube 
their main goal isn't to make money off it. Their main goal is to how can we give back to aviation? How can we make sure that aviation is at a spot in 10, 20, 30 years that we want it to be? How can we help fix the pilot shortage? How can we do our part? So I, I would imagine, and from talking to you, I can tell that you guys are just like that as well. So I love talking to other people that kind of have that goal and mindset. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we appreciate you and, and what you're doing as well. And, and, you know, I, I love meeting the other, um, social media type guys, you know, whether they're podcasters or whether they're, uh, you know, there's the, the group of guys that are the CFIs on online yeah. that have the flight schools and yep. the ground schools and all that stuff. I, you know, they're, they're, they're all contributing, um, and, and sharing that, you know, I call it the gospel of aviation. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it is, it's, and we're all evangelists. But the, but the coolest thing is, is I hope to meet somebody today that I can maybe be a part of that inspiration that helps them become a pilot. I, yeah. I like literally every day I wake up and that's my, that would be my dream day is just to find that person, whether it be in person or whether somebody messages me because they saw a video I did or, or they saw a post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever that I just hope to find that person every day that I can expose to the lifestyle, the awesomeness that, you know, that freedom, I don't, how do you explain it? There's so many ways to explain aviation. It's just impossible, but it's just so awesome. We want you to be involved. We want you to come and fly with us. You know, people are like, how do I fly with the flying cowboys? Well, jump in an airplane and get over here, man. <laughs> Let's do down. this. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's have some fun. So, you know, th that is a reality. Um, and so whether it be you know, us posting videos on the internet or on Instagram or YouTube or ha we have our online stores and all that stuff. That all that is to facilitate helping people get involved, and it's just to to build the fun. Definitely. And that's really what it's for. And you know, we have a a really cool fly-in coming up in October in in Nevada that we call the High Sierra Fly-in. I want to get in a quick plug for that. Oh, Let me go for it! Absolutely. Plug away. <laughs> um, it's it's the world's largest backcountry fly-in. So that is bar none the coolest thing. And one thing that we do that makes it such a unique and popular event is we actually take our bush planes and we drag race them. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and, we, and we call it a stole drag. So almost everybody's seen a short takeoff and landing competition. Yes. That's called a stole competition. Well, what we do is we take that and we combine it with drag racing. <laughs> So get That's on awesome. YouTube and, and search for Stoll Drag, S-T-O-L Drag, or High Sierra Fly-In, and you'll find all the information you need. It's in October. It's on October 18th through the 21st in the desert, Nevada. A bunch of us bought all this land in Nevada. And, uh, so it's privately owned and we can have, we set up our own airport. We have air traffic controllers come in. I mean, it's a oh, legit, no That's oh, cool. it's awesome, but you know, check it out. There's the website stoledrag.com and the, the gentleman that is the main guy, his name is Kevin Quinn. Almost everybody in the backcountry world knows who he is because he's like amazing. I'm very fortunate to call him a friend, but he runs this fly in out of, out in the desert of Nevada, just North of Reno. And I got to tell you, it is a fun, fun, fun fly in. So if you're a pilot, come check it out. The high Sierra fly in in October. That's it's incredible. Awesome. Do you have the dates for it already? So they can, they know exactly when to look out for it. Yep. It's October 18th through the 21st this year, 2018. Nice. Perfect. That's awesome. Well, I was going to try to get into kind of, you kind of touched on it a little bit, of kind of becoming 
um, the Flying Cowboys and getting back Country Pilots. What are some tips that you would give to someone that sees what you guys you guys are doing and is like, I want to do that? Like, what kind of airplane should they look into buying? How should they go about getting into backcountry flying? You know, I'm not a uh, a snob or a purist when it comes to airplanes. I think airplanes are cool. Yeah. So if you if you come to me with a a Kit Fox or a Highlander or a Ridge Runner or, or whatever, or a Super Cub or a Cessna 170 or a 180, um, any capable backcountry airplane can get you started. Yeah. Now, some will get it done easier than others. Like, for example, like the Super Cub is the, you know, the staple. It's it's certainly one of the most easy to fly airplanes in the world. And that's why a lot of the stole guys, the backcountry guys will use the Super Cub. Mm-hmm. The Kit Fox is a fantastic aircraft. The the Just Aircraft Highlander is one of my favorite, favorite airplanes. You know, you can get into a Kit Fox for the the, the cost of a Cessna 150. They're yeah. just so affordable. Um, there's But there's anywhere in between there and all the way up to a carbon cub like what I have. There's just an airplane there that's right for you. I'm happy to, to, to take emails and questions all day long. But when it comes down to it, there's no perfect airplane. Everything will need to be um, made your own. And what I mean by that is get out and get competent in it. Mm-hmm. Make that airplane your own so that you're strapping it on like you're st- strapping on your belt and you're wearing that airplane and, and becoming very competent in that aircraft. And to a lot of people that sounds, Oh, that's so unwieldy. You must fly every day. <laughs> well, it's like I said, just, it's just like turning pages on a, in a book, turn the page, keep, keep making that progress and you'll get there. And you don't have to be a professional pilot. Like the high Sierra flying is on a lake bed. Um, we have guys bring in, you know, one guy last year, uh, what was the craziest? I think one guy have, has brought in a jet one year. I mean, it's literally five miles long. Oh wow! He's, there's there's several flight instructors have soloed their students from that high from that lake bed. That's awesome. Um, so you know they'll they'll take them down, they'll land in the lake bed, and then they'll sign their logbook and say, okay, go do three landings. Have oh. fun, yeah, yeah. enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a lake bed, and and it's and it's a great first time backcountry experience. Because it's a wonderful wealth of knowledge of at all skill levels. You've got the, the guy who just made his very first dry lake bed backcountry landing to guys that have been doing it their entire life. And so that is a, a great, you know, the best way to get involved in aviation or backcountry aviation is literally going to a backcountry fly-in. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, it, it really is because you're going to be able to see – Every kind of backcountry airplane you could possibly imagine, from the great ones to the terrible ones. Um, and, and I'm not I'm not saying that facetiously either. There are some terrible airplanes out there for backcountry, but people make them work. But they're going to require some skill set. Yeah. What would you say some of the terrible airplanes are for backcountry? <laughs> well, we had we had a guy competing the Stoll Drag in a Cirrus. What? It's, <laughs> it's not necessarily the best backcountry airplane, but. Yeah. He was a great pilot. In fact, he's a close buddy of mine. He's in the Flying Cowboys. His name is yeah. Marty. Um, he had brought his wife's Cirrus, and he's like, I'm not going to let this competition go by. I'm, I don't know that I'll win, but I'm going to yeah. compete. And, and uh, after every, after every uh, session, after every up and down the runway, uh, he had to fly around to cool his brakes off. Oh, my gosh. I bet. <laughs> because they were getting hot. But they are glowing red probably. So the Cirrus is a terrible backcountry airplane. Now, is it a bad airplane? No, no, it's a fantastic airplane, but it's a terrible backcountry airplane. 
<laughs> I can imagine that's a that's a it's a high speed wing. I can't imagine it liking to be too slow. So no, I mean it's the, the the nice thing is is the stall drag race is on a three quarter mile course and it's on the lake bed and it's super super all skill levels. It's so fun. So it's it's a great time. It looks like a lot of fun. I'll give you that. I mean, like I said earlier, I never really had the the want to get in a tail wheel or anything like that. Just kind of how it was proposed to me in my training, it didn't see advantageous to what I was planning on doing. But now seeing what you guys are doing and how you can how much fun you make it look and how it's like a brotherhood, how it's just like the boys going out to to land on whatever mountain, whatever lake bed, whatever area and just camp and have fun and just show the love for aviation. So I'm, I'm sure if I ever went to a fly in, my wife might get mad because the, the bug for a tailwheel and for a backcountry life might become more real. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because one of the cool things about backcountry is it's it's probably the most family oriented side of aviation. That, that flying that I just mentioned to you about, everybody brings their wives and their kids and it is a, you know, what better way to share with your, with your loved ones than going out and airplane camping. Yeah. There's no better way to sh- share aviation and to have that experience. So you're, if you're going to go camping anyway, you might as well load up the airplane. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's grass strips all over the country. You don't necessarily have to be a backcountry pilot to go airplane camping. So maybe that's a good first step is load up your 182 and, and go land on a grass runway. You got to start you know somewhere, I mean? right? Yeah, absolutely. That's it's awesome. it's it's so fun and, and and it is definitely something that's very inclusive, the especially the backcountry side of it. And you know, there's a lot of guys that'll just come solo, but for the most part we're all bringing our families and and you know, because you want to share that with with your family. You want your wife there to experience it and there's all the other wives there that are going to sit around the campfire and complain about their husbands so it works out perfect. <laughs> all he does is buy airplanes. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, that No, they awesome. get into it. You know, half of them, you know, ha- in fact, half of the wives of the Flying Cowboys are all certificated pilots now. That's cool. We've been, we've been pretty good at, at getting them involved. Good. You guys better watch out. Some of the girls are going to come and beat you guys in those competitions. <laughs> you know, I, I, oh man, that would be my dream. I yeah. am such a huge proponent, proponent of women in aviation that absolutely I, I would love, you know, I actually won it in 15 and then a flying Cowboys won it every year. So we've swept it. No big deal. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so, so we're awesome. But at the same time, I would, oh, I would, it would be like the coolest thing in the world to have, to have somebody show up in, you know, a really skilled female pilot show up in like a carbon cub and just spank everybody. It'd be awesome. That would be cool. That would be awesome. It's going to happen sooner or later. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a challenge. You ladies yeah. that are listening. Bring Come on it out. on. Bring it. I'd yeah. love to see it. I, I'm the announcer now, so oh, I get cool. to. I get to whoop it up. That's awesome. Make sure that everybody has a good time. Well, cool. Well, I have this little <laughs> rapid fire section that I do on my podcast, and it's just a, a couple uh, quick fire questions that you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. They're usually all aviation related. I've never done with a backcountry pilot before, so I don't know exactly what I'm going to ask. So we'll just kind of see where it goes. <laughs> you ready sure. for it? All Let's right, do cool. it. We'll start with the easy ones first. It's uh, what's your favorite airline to fly on? Delta. Delta. What is your favorite, maybe like jumbo jet or like uh, just any jet in general, not a backcountry plane or anything? What's just your favorite plane outside of backcountry? My favorite aircraft outside of backcountry is probably the 67. I just like the 67. There you go. No one's ever said that before, so there's always a first. 
I, I loaded it when one of my jobs growing up was I worked for FedEx for a little while and pushed oh, cans cool. into the back of a 67. Oh, so there I, you go. I used to fly, <laughs> uh, I used to fly Cessna caravans and I'd fly feeder routes. So I'd get those UPS boxes on there and take them out. So I, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. What, what's your favorite airline livery? Oh, the, oh, wow. You know, um, whew, Frontier's good. I yeah. actually really like the, the nature scenes and the animals they put on there. That makes Their sense. Backcountry pilot likes the nature yeah. scenes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing you always have to have on your person while you're flying? And let's say not like flying commercially or anything, but flying your carbon cub. What's one thing you always have to have with you? Um, one thing I always have to, you know, I bring a lot of water. Staying hydrated in the backcountry is a big deal. So I, you know, water. It's probably yeah, <laughs> it's no, lame that's answer. <laughs> it's a real one. Maybe survival <laughs> gear when you land in that next place that you get stuck yeah, in for oh, a couple I, of yeah, days. Uh, that never leaves the airplane yeah. now. <laughs> yep. See, you learn from your mistakes. That's for sure. Yep. Refined it. Yeah. I need to do a video on that. People have been yeah. bugging me about that. That's it's a good funny. reminder. What is the ugliest <laughs> airplane you have ever seen? The Wilga. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I've owned one, so I yeah. can say it. <laughs> that's funny well it's funny because isn't draco's like a, a will go on a will go on steroids so it looks it, a little it, bit different yeah it's it, not it has wilga dna but yeah. i don't think it's fair to wilga's to say it's a wilga anymore no, i would agree because i've never <laughs> seen a wilga before and obviously you see draco and you're like dang that plane's kind of cool what it can do is awesome it's got a turbine in it and then you look up like oh what's a wilga and then you look up like oh <laughs> you're like, wah, wah. yeah <laughs> exactly yeah that little sound effect goes off in the background that's hilarious <laughs> Yeah, what awesome. is your favorite airport food to eat when you're um, out on the road traveling? Airport food. So I have to be able to buy it at an airport. Yeah. <laughs> I hate I hate this question because it's gonna <laughs> get it's gonna give you a real answer. I love you know those little places where you can get airport sushi. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's hilarious. I love airport sushi yeah. for some reason. That yeah. and you know every time I get on an airplane, I have to have a tomato juice for some reason. I don't right. know why. I love having ginger ale on airplanes, so I think everyone just kind of associates a drink and a snack with aviation, whether it's yeah. sushi and tomato juice or whether it's ginger ale and peanuts. You know, <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. it's funny. That's funny. Are you an Android or iOS guy? iOS. Okay. This one's, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but what, if you were like dream back country, would you want to be able to fly and land on mountains, the beach, or maybe someone's farm out in the country? Oh boy, that's so hard. I could probably get all, get all of those in, in one day. <laughs> there you go. That's the best answer you can have. <laughs> and you can see every single one of those on my vlog on YouTube. <laughs> no shame plug. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite backcountry strip that you have landed on? Oh, my favorite one. You know, probably my favorite one is either Spanish for, and they're not backcountry. We've just made them that because yeah. that's where we gather as pals and then we launch from there. But my favorite arrivals are where I know my friends are at. You know what I mean? Yep. So if, if they're, if we're all gathering at the Spanish Fork airport or in the West Desert airport, um, probably one of those two because either my pal Jason and all the boys are there or Mike and Mark and Jason and all the boys are at Spanish Fork. And that's really the best part because we know we're going to have a good time Yeah. Uh, once I make that arrival. Do you guys know where you're going beforehand? Or I feel like it's kind of like someone lands on a, a random mountain, throws up the bat signal in the air and everyone just kind of like the news team assembles <laughs> at the at the place or is it always pre-planned and you guys are always kind of know where you're going beforehand? You know, that's a great question. You know, we'll, we'll often schedule a trip and then 
we have that destination. And so it's a kind of a general direction thing, but it's more about the journey for us. And so we, we try to find, like, we don't necessarily plan fuel stops. There's so many airports in the country that you mm-hmm. can, you can land at. Um, and with, with modern technology, you're able to check notams and everything in the air. So you can still be safe without having like a set flight plan. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll launch with a general direction in mind and, the adventure starts there, buddy. That's awesome. That is so cool. I have a couple more questions for you, then I'll let you go. I do appreciate your time and coming on here, but you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with the FAA. What? How does the FAA view what you guys do? Like, what? How do you guys have any run-ins with them? And maybe even farther into like the police. Like, I know people seeing airplanes and coming down at low level and landing at places might freak them out a little bit. Have you guys had any? Has the FAA been good with you guys? Have local police kind of? been hesitant of what you guys are doing kind of talk about that a little bit well um yes <laughs> so <laughs> we 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 do have a lot of we have a very good relationship with the FAA uh-huh. the, the the good thing about the flying cowboys is you know our mantra is we want to operate safely we right. want to operate legally and we want to set a good example for other people to do that same thing so you know we have a great relationship with the feds and you know unfortunately we do occasionally, you know, if you do something and nobody ever sees it, nobody will ever have the opportunity to, to turn you in. So most right. of the time we have the FAA called on us. It's basically probably a video that was posted. Yeah. Um, we've actually, to our knowledge of only had the FAA or police or anybody called on us one time. <laughs> and that's because we landed where people could see us. Normally we don't ever op, you know, we're in the back country. There's never any people there. Planes go places where nobody goes, right? right? So most of our shenanigans are where nobody, there's no witnesses, right? And I'm not saying that to to kind of be tongue in cheek because we still keep everything very safe and very legal and we're very conscientious of land ownership and we're very respectful of that because th- these are our rights and we don't want to lose them. And I think if we went out there and were cavalier about it and abused those rights, those things can be taken away. And so we want to be very respectful to ourselves to landowners and to everybody involved and conscientious of everybody else's needs at the same time as enjoying the backcountry. So with all that said, yes, we do have, we have had some run-ins. I, my personal opinion of what the FAA thinks about the flying Cowboys is they absolutely love us. Yeah. You know, the, you know, we invite them to our events. You know, we, we just had in Spanish Fork an airport open house day and the FAA was there because we asked for some waivers because we like to do some things in front of people that, that need a wa- need a waiver. <laughs> right. For example, operating inside of that 500 foot, you know, when you have a, a crowd line that you can't have 500 feet away and you want to do a stole demonstration, you've got to get a waiver for that. Yeah. So, so we'll, you know, we're, we're getting very, very good at communicating with the FAA and, and figuring out how to do things in a safe manner and energy management and things like that. And we do a lot of formation work and, you know, we do air shows too. I mean, we, we just, most of the, just did the, uh, the air show at Oshkosh, the stole demonstration there. Yeah. And that, that's, you have to do that in wavered airspace, you know, because of proximity to crowds and it's all wavered all with an yeah. air boss. And, well, especially you know, since you guys, um, put make videos and put them online of everything you do so it's not (laughs) it's not one of those things where you can just do it and ask for forgiveness later it's like you need to make sure you do your you need to have a game plan and go after it and the easiest thing to do like when you're publishing videos for the internet and this is advice for anybody that does anything at all you don't even have to put on the internet if you are always legal and you know it then you don't have to worry about if anybody caught it on film right 
because they can post away, buddy. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> you know, because because I know what my personal limitations are. I know what my safety limitations are, and I know what the regulations are, and I know what I'm doing because I I you know the the flying cowboys. We're we are a lot of people think they they hear the term cowboy, and it's almost got. Hollywood has turned it into kind of almost a negative thing. Yeah. But but how the Flying Cowboys came about is a completely different story. It has nothing to do with like having a bad attitude or I'm going to go out and shotgun my way through the world. And <laughs> No, we literally – Wait, we so you guys flying? aren't carrying shotguns? What the heck? <laughs> well, we, we do if it's yeah. legal in that state. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But – and that's just a safety thing. You you run up on bears or wildlife yeah. all the time. you got to protect yourself. For sure. But that's a different story. Um. But going back to the Flying Cowboys name, it's we literally have done ranch work, and that's really how it came about. Is we're we're we work hard for what we have, and we've we've achieved a certain degree of success, and so we want to share that with people. Um, you know, you'd look at every one of us; our hands are calloused up because we worked for a living at one yeah. point or another. And now, now that I'm a software guy, it doesn't mean that 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 history and and what molded me as a young man into who I am today uh, should be thrown away. Um, the Flying Cowboys is a is a good group of guys, and I love every one of them, and I'm proud to be uh, associated with it. That's quite awesome. Honestly. Well, it sounds like a great organization, and everything we've talked about, and I think people are going to kind of it's going to be nice for them to kind of get to know you a little bit more. You know, hear more about your story, hear more about what goes on behind the scenes, and how you guys choose places to land, and just everything in general. And I'm very thankful you came on the podcast. I have one more question for you, and it's okay. if, say like um, you get a message, it's a uh, 16 year old kid he really wants to be a pilot what are some maybe like three tips that you would give him throughout his journey maybe either whether it's become a commercial pilot or whether he just wants to to fly for fun what are some tips that you would give him it's hard to break it down into one or two or three tips you know going back to what i said at the very beginning is take that first step and go flying that's the most important thing you might find that you get sick in the airplane like me like i when i first started flying and getting instruction, I'd, I'd just get nauseous yeah. and I had to overcome that. And that's something you might need to consider. My passion exceeded my desire to be not, to desire to be comfortable, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I was more, I was willing to go through that discomfort and learn how to not be sick in an airplane. I just taught my body. I don't know how that all works physiologically, but eventually I just never, never got sick again. But the, the, so there's a lot of things you need to figure out. And one of them is, is is you got to go out and figure out flying. You got to fly an airplane in order to be a pilot, right? Yep. You got to get you got to get up there and whether you're taking an intro flight or you're 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 hooking up with the EAA and doing an eagle flight or you're just finding a buddy who has an airplane and taking a flight or jumping in a helicopter or taking a tour in Las Vegas down the strip. It doesn't matter. You've got to get up in an airplane. For sure. That's awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said earlier, I'm very thankful for you coming on the podcast. Uh, we'll kind of debrief afterwards once we're done and kind of see if there's anything else we wanted to add or anything. But I just think it's going to be awesome for people to hear from you and your story and just hear more about what you guys are doing. Because, I mean, you, you're doing amazing things in aviation and just showing another side of aviation that maybe no one else knew that there was available to them. So, and maybe, I don't know, you can get into it maybe more affordable and you can have more fun with your cub than, say, someone that has it in, in a big city and just flies 40 miles an hour over the highway every once in a while. So you have, <laughs> there's a lot of uses for aviation. There's a lot of uses for airplanes. And I love what you guys are doing. And I'm very thankful that you guys are are doing it the way you're doing it. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you coming on, like I said. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you soon. 
Woohoo! <laughs> and that is a wrap of episode number 41. Avi Nation, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. And like I said earlier, please, please, please tell someone about the podcast. Whether it's just your friend at the flight school, your instructor, just help spread the word. Help get the word out. Help get Pilot the Pilot out there so we can get more people to listen to the podcast. And if you have any ideas of who you want me to interview on the podcast, let me know. You can leave me an email at pilotthepilothq.com or hit me up on Instagram at pilotthepilot. Aviation I hope you have a great day and happy flying. I want to give a huge shout out to my $20 Patreon supporters, Matt Dell, Micah Maziar, and John McCall. Thank you guys so much for the, the support on Patreon. I truly appreciate it.